Hi everyone, I'm Kyle Dyer and welcome to Colorado Inside Out. On this Friday, September 1st, let me start off this new month and I would argue the best month here in Colorado by introducing this week's panel, Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, Krista Kafer, columnist for the Denver Post, Eric Sonderman, columnist for Colorado Politics and the Colorado Springs and Denver Gazettes, and Sage Nauman, owner of Anthem Communications. Thank you all for joining us this week. Let's start our discussion by talking about Governor Polis. Last week we talked about the governor announcing his latest plan to cut the lag time it takes to get affordable housing built, with a large group of people from various agencies standing behind him supporting him. This week some things aren't going the way that he may be wanted, like the gun violence prevention law that was passed last session, that's been halted again. And Patty, on Wednesday, Polis reached out to the Biden administration and said, please get involved with what the IRS is planning to do with our Tabor refunds. And so far, no luck. We are going to be taxed on our Tabor refunds. That's the IRS decision. Tabor is causing such headaches right now for Polis because we're also heading into HH election season. And people are coming out fast and furious against that ballot measure. So it is going to be a tough time for Polis. But he's also talking about, oh, he's at the state fair. He's talking about electrified buses. So he is out there really talking about his various different platforms. But the gun decision, Rocky Mountain gun owners win. Definitely the Colorado legislature, which passed the limit so that people under 21 could not buy firearms. It matches the loophole because they haven't been able to buy pistols since 68. Um, but disappointing for the legislature and Polis who pushed push that. Krista, good to see you this week. You know, you could say that this is another missed target. The uh, the gun legislation that he pushed forward has uh, is in the process of being ruled unconstitutional, which I, I had predicted that. Given that we have a right to bear arms, does this fit within the, the history of our country? And if you look at pistols and, um, and rifles and shotguns, long guns, they're very different. All, almost all of the crime that's committed with firearms is with pistols. So I think there's definitely some... Uh, justification for uh, keeping those out of the hands of uh, perhaps young people who might not use them the way they should be used. But long guns have a long history in this country for hunting um, and for competitive shooting. Think about the legend Annie Oakley, um, the great sharpshooter, right? She uh, started hunting at, at eight. She had to support her mom, widowed, and her family was uh, you know, shooting squirrels and bringing home dinner using a long gun. So we have a history in this country of hunting and young people being involved in hunting and, and in shooting sports and to arbitrarily say they can't do that is not only unfair, but I believe that, that our governor and our legislature will realize at some point that it is also unconstitutional to put that limitation. Mm -hmm. Eric Patty was mentioning that the governor was at the state fair. You wrote just the other day about his relationship with rural Colorado. Can Jared Polis survive and even thrive politically without rural Colorado? Of course he's demonstrated he can, but rural Colorado has so many challenges as is and has so long felt like a second-class citizen, uh, particularly as the front-range growth has just skyrocketed. And, and Polis just adds insult to injury, if you will, uh, in terms of how he too often treats rural Colorado. I'd probably recommend that Governor Polis not show up for a high school football game anytime soon in, you know, Kremlin or Buena Vista or La Junta or run the list of a zillion other uh, rural towns and, and, and communities around the state. He has uh, gone out of his way to, to alienate those constituencies and they deserve better. Sage. Yeah, you're right about the governor kind of having a strange week. You you didn't get a chance to mention the Gadsden flag incident, which was uh, just 
again, strange. He was actually on TV, I think, yesterday talking about it, where we had a teacher who basically, or, or an administrator, a school that had told a student that he cannot have a Gadsden flag on his backpack. And of course, this blew up on social media. And the governor came to the student's defense and said, this is a learning moment. The Gadsden flag has deep roots in our Revolutionary War, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which uh, you know, I applaud him for. I think he was correct in that. But going to the HH thing and Tabor in general, the, the Tabor discussion is very weird right now because, like, for example, yesterday on Twitter you had Michael Bennett stating that, uh, of course, our U.S. senator, stating that we need to ensure that people get the money that they deserve. And again, if you look at, for example, the Colorado Demo Democratic Party's platform, number one on there under fiscal issues is repeal Tabor. You look at HH, it is basically, you can say it's a full repeal of the, of the Tabor refunds, you can say it slowly eats them away, whatever, but it clearly isn't a pro-Tabor measure on the ballot. And so there's this weird thing going on where everyone wants to basically jump on the Tabor bandwagon, but at the same time secretly start chipping away at it. At some point that's going to come to a head, and they're going to have to decide whether they want to be clear and straightforward with voters and say, we don't like this, it's time to do away with it, or okay, let's just leave it be. And it'll be interesting to see how that, that plays out in the next few years. Mm -hmm. And I just... Oh, Go ahead. I just want to be sure you are not endorsing eight-year-olds going out and shooting squirrels. Much as I love Annie Oakley, as you should be Have able you ever to tell. Had a squirrel, it's pretty good. Okay. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, on a barbecue, come on. <laughs> okay. All right. Anyone else? Or can we move on to the next topic? Uh, there, there goes that political career for Miss Kafer. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe in rural Colorado it'll play well. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let's talk, keep talking about state politics and what may transpire this coming session under the Gold Dome, including with brand new representative who was selected last weekend to fill a vacant seat. Krista, I will start with you. Yeah, why in the world would you pick a, an avowed Marxist? Something like on the record that's like, yay, Marx, yay, Lenin. I mean, a hundred million people died in the last century. Uh, all of those deaths attributable to the communist ideology. It is a bad ideology. So why would you embrace that? Secondly, um, there's a little bit of a PR problem with Democrats right now in that they're being linked to the far left of their party. And I know all kinds of very thoughtful, moderate Democrats who have great, have great ideas. Um, and I think when they do situations like this, when they pick somebody who's an avowed Marxist, they are leaning into that stereotype that they're being panned by, by the right, which is that you know if you're a Democrat, you're also you know a progressive and probably a Marxist. Well, most Democrats aren't. But when you embrace somebody like Hernandez, a, a fired teacher who's an avowed Marxist, you're leaning into that stereotype, you're providing fodder for the other side to say, yeah, we've always known you were a Marxist, look at the person that you picked. So I'm thinking uh, maybe they can hire a new comms agency, uh, there's one that's called Anthem, uh, to kind of help with their communications issue because I think this was quite uh, a bad mistake. Well, Tim Hernandez was certainly not the only option that vacancy committee had. Now, I guess if there's any good news, and I'm not sure I see much good news in this appointment, but if there's any good news, uh, one of the candidates was a woman named Rachel Galindo, who had been a state representative, I believe, from the Greeley area, widely disgraced, then tried to come fill a vacancy down here in Denver. So I think, you know, the state can probably do without Ms. Galindo's uh, service at this point. I think this is just, this appointment is a tale of our times. I mean, yes, the Republican Party has wandered into crazy town land, and we talked about it around this show and plenty of other shows ad infinitum. But the Democratic Party, and it's not an equivalent kind of thing, but you know, it has polarized really hard. If Tim Hernandez was going to be a solitary voice 
for this philosophy at the legislature, that would be one thing. But he has plenty of company uh, in the Democratic caucus these days. Since we're on the cusp of football season, I sometimes use a football metaphor. And you know, if, you don't have to dial the clock back that many years to where Democrats would generally play on the left-hand 40-yard line, and Republicans would play on the right-hand 40-yard line. You had 20 yards in between. Now you have Democrats playing in the left-hand end zone. Republicans are either in the right-hand end zone or out in the parking lot or wherever you can find them these days. And the gap is just immense, and that's why you have this political dysfunction. Sage. Yeah, you know, one of the things that's interesting is that the image problem, this identity crisis that the Democratic Party in Colorado is having, is overshadowed by the Republican Party's problem, which right. is much more significant. But as Eric was saying, both parties are going to the fringe, and they're both becoming disconnected from average Coloradans. And the Hernandez appointment is the perfect example of that. Last night, uh, they aired the interview with Cal Clark and he was asked about political violence. And he gave this answer where he kind of said, like, well, you know, I don't engage in political violence. I'm not the kind of person. And Kyle pushed him on it. And his quote, and I, I read this because he, you know, he went on Twitter, now X, which is never going to be normal to say. Um, he, he went on and said that he was misquoted and that he didn't think that he was represented correctly. So I want to quote him exactly as he said. He says, I'm not here to police protest. You know, I think that folks that choose to relegate towards violence, uh, it's a personal political decision for themselves. If any Republican post-January 6th had been asked, hmm, what do you think of the people being violent at the state capitol, beating up on police officers, and they said, you know, that's kind of a personal decision. I'm not going to tell them what to do. They would rightfully be criticized. The Democratic Party and leaders in the Democratic Party today are quiet on Hernandez's words, and that says a lot about where that party is and how afraid really both parties are of their base. Hmm. It'll be an interesting session ahead. Well, and that gets into polis again, because unlike the Republicans who are not in power at the State House and will not be in power at the State House for a while, Democrats are. And for polis, it's a challenge when you have this very progressive, Marxist, very far left wing, whether they're in the parking lot or whatever. But it's a challenge to be a governor and try to bring people back to the center for more of the centrist policies or libertarian policies that Polis really endorses. So we're going to see wild times next year. In the meantime, also, we're going to have a new one replacing Dominic Moreno, who is going to Mike Johnston's administration. And he's been a really good, solid voice in the legislature. Sorry to lose him. We'll see who replaces him. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, Denver is approaching week seven with a new mayor for the first time in a long time. And apparently, Denverites are kind of split as to whether the city is on the right track or not. Eric. Yeah, there was a poll released this week that you're referencing, Kyle, that showed very much division of opinion um, in Denver as to this, uh, the state of the city, if you will. Um, there was no ambiguity about what the number one issue is, which is homelessness and followed closely by housing affordability, and that's followed closely by public safety. And to many people, myself included, I think those three issues together are sort of almost like spaghetti. They're just woven together. You can't pull them apart. Mike Johnston, you know, is clearly in charge at this point, but the city is still waiting for really much to happen outside the homelessness realm. And I'm not diminishing the importance of homelessness as the number one issue. There clearly is the case. But his appointments so far have all been in two categories. One, his senior staff. It's not that he's picking 
poor people, to the contrary. But where are the other appointments? I mean, you know, there's not been a cabinet member selected so far. We're seven weeks into the administration. We're roughly 12 weeks since uh, Johnston got elected in the first place. It's time to see this team, and it's time to see more than just the homeless issue. I'm curious, seven weeks. Is there a grace period? Is it, you know, two months, three months? I mean, what is it? I, you know, I think I would be willing to give him the grace period of at least seven weeks. I mean, okay. maybe for appointments, cabinet-level positions, maybe it's time to start getting into gear. But, you know, one thing that's going to be tough for the mayor is he is going to have to balance chatter online, chatter within those who are the, the political operative class that he's, you know, in, really in the Democratic Party. There's no not many Republicans in this administration. Um, and balancing that with what people in Denver actually are asking for. I mean, the, the poll that was mentioned, I mean, 65% of people in that poll said they still support the homeless sweeps. That doesn't mean that 65% of people in Denver don't have a heart or they're not compassionate or they don't want to have other robust programs to help these people, whether it's you know rehabilitation programs, whether it's building more shelters elsewhere. It's just that when they're walking down the street, they don't want to have a tent in front of their apartment building. If they're trying to start a business, they, don't, they want people to actually want to walk into their business and not see someone outside who's shooting up. It's, it's a terrible situation, but it requires a, a voice of reason to say, look, we can't have our city looking like this. We need to clean up our streets, but at the same time, take care of our people. I think that's going to be really tough. The people that he's surrounded with, they're going to give him a lot of different opinions. It's up to him to be the leader to say, look, we're going to do this right. We're going to follow what the people of, of Denver want. And, I, you know, I'm giving him a grace. Most certainly, I think seven weeks is too early. But I'm hopeful that he's going to be that leader that, that I think Denver really needs. Hmm. Well, he has been surprisingly aggressive on the homelessness issue, I think, including sweeps. Just as we came over to film today, there was another sweep underway and it was not with the seven days notice that is under the federal guideline agreed to in 2016. He can do it for public health reasons in a shorter period of time, and I think that's what we'll see here. But he's been surprisingly active on that and willing to take criticism. We have to remember, he had 28 transition committees, all who were charged with a 100-day plan. So coming up priorities for 100 days, we're halfway there at seven weeks. So I think he's moving along with that. I applaud a lot of his recent appointees. It's not a huge number, but Molly Arbina, fabulous. She, will, she could run this city, and maybe she will. I mean, she is a great person to bring in. We've missed having her in city government. Sue Powers, that's a great move, too. Dominic Moreno, I think, will be great. So let's give him a little more time, a little, but he, the transition committees, I think, did a pretty good job. And let's also remember on this poll, 400 people maybe quizzed. Over three-quarters of them love DIA. They're positive about DIA. So I would like to know exactly who was quizzed, because by the end of this weekend, I'm betting you will not hear 75% positive on DIA <laughs> or even a majority positive on RTD. When people are polled, I think it's very easy to think about the negative. We have amazing arts institutions here. We've got a great Denver Museum of Nature and Science. We've got... Uh, an amazing uh, botanic garden, a great zoo, a number of other things in, in the city that make it a beautiful, wonderful city. But the, the crime and the homelessness issue is a problem. And I hope that the mayor, and he's a thoughtful man, I hope that he, he hears that people do want to see the sweeps. Um, the fact that you can be driving downtown and, you know, get to see somebody with no, uh, 
No pants on. I mean, I just think a, a pants on city is actually a very good <laughs> idea. And so I, I think the sweeps need to keep up and there needs to be a balance between the compassion and the harm reduction and also the personal responsibility of, of insisting that people make changes, that they get sober. Um, and I, I have some concerns that some of that's going to get jettisoned as we move forward. Mm -hmm. Okay. One thing the poll did show of the 400 people asked, 48% of them liked the idea of Denver ballots uh, being retrofitted to incorporate rank choice voting, where voters would basically rank, rank candidates in order of preference, with the lowest rank candidates are being eliminated until one candidate receives a majority of votes. That's interesting. Speaking of elections, we learned this week that the day before we vote here in Colorado in the presidential primary, the trial will commence in the federal case against former President Donald Trump, for which he's charged with trying to overthrow the 2020 election. Just the timing of that is something, right before Super Tuesday. Yeah, it, it certainly is. Um, I, whether it's a coincidence or not, it, the trial has to happen at some point, and I'm sure any date that's picked is going to be a bad one, right? There's going to be something going on. When in the middle of a presidential election, There's you're always going to have something on the calendar. Um, you know, I... One thing is, you know, obviously I'm, I'm somebody who has vocally been not a fan of Donald Trump, even though I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican, I didn't vote for him either time. But we have to be cautious with the arrest that happened in Georgia and ever, really all of the judicial proceedings against Donald Trump. There is a huge lack of confidence in our institutions right now. Uh, it's not completely unjustified. If you read the Durham report, there is good reason to believe that a lot of things that happened, especially in 2016 and about Russian collusion, those were politically motivated. They did not have the facts. They were done outside of the normal procedure. When you have those kind of circumstances, regardless if Donald Trump did or did not do what he's accused of, and trust me, in many ways, I think that he did a lot of those things, you have to make sure that you're very careful with these prosecutions. Um, obviously, I think the one in Georgia has a lot of merit. The one in Florida probably has a lot of merit as well. But you look at the one like in Manhattan, that is, the, that is one of the stupidest prosecutions I've ever seen. And unfortunately, that was the first one that came out. And so it set the stage and made it seem like all of them were just politically motivated. We have to be very careful. If we lose trust in our institutions, especially in our system of justice, that's going to be a very, very hard thing to rebuild. So uh, all I'm saying is, be cautious, tread carefully, and understand that a lot of Americans have a lot of doubts. And I think it's on our justice system, on these prosecutors, um, to do what they can to restore that trust. We're also looking at competitions here that are going to be fascinating, like Adam Frisch, genius to get into the race in District 3 two years ago, because he is now really doing well against Lauren Boebert. And I'm not sure this coffee cup wouldn't be doing well against Lauren Boebert at this point just because of her behavior in, the, in Congress. But Adam Frisch is really in position, and though others are jumping into the race, it is going to be really hard to overcome the lead he has and the amount of money he's raised so far. But you wouldn't think that in that district an, a liberal Aspenite would be able to take it. I think ranked choice voting is a big mistake. I actually think it will reduce the trust that people have in elections because it's confusing, number one. And I mean, I understand how it works, but it, it took me a while to get my head wrapped around it. Um, and you can end up with results in which, like, nobody got their first two choices. So you could ask, you know, did you vote for that person? No, I, that was like my third or fifth choice. So you could end up with everybody's third choice. And I don't. I think it lacks the clarity. Granted, the you know the system that we have now is 
it's more black and white, it's more clear. It has obviously some um, flaws like anything that human beings do. But if you go to ranked choice, I think you're going to see that uh, people get more confused, uh, less interested in voting. And I think if we look at where it's being done, Alaska, for example, you end up with a lot more people unhappy than happy with the results. Eric. Oh, just quickly, I, did, I think ranked choice voting is at least worth an experiment, or it is at least worth a look. It basically is an instant runoff. What we have in Denver also did not come down on stone tablets, and it's now you know this very protracted process, and you could eliminate the protraction out of that process. Boulder is about to do a mayoral election using ranked choice voting. Let's use that as a petri dish uh, and, and see how that goes, but it, it should at least be on the table. More importantly, this in some respects is another way that Donald Trump has demeaned our politics and his, his metastasizing kind of influence on our politics, what it has done to bring everything low. We're heading into a year unlike any political year that we have seen simply because we have a leading candidate who is a former president of the United States who is going to spend a very large chunk of the year in the dock in a series of criminal trials. Now we're at the point in this show where we talk about some of the highs and lows of the week, either here in our state or somewhere else. Patty, let's start with something that really bothered you this week. Well, although I'm happy for all the turkeys that will be able to keep their legs this weekend, I'm sorry that the Taste of Colorado will not be back in Civic Center, which most people don't know. I didn't know But that. it is not happening this year. They divided it up, had a couple days this summer, but there is no Taste of Colorado in Civic Center Park this Labor Day weekend. But why? Because they divided it up over Viva Streets. I didn't know that. I think it was that. a mistake, but every turkey is happy. Oh, I guess so. Oh, man. No turkey, maybe we should try squirrel. <laughs> See, there we go. There we go. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so I want to give my shame of the day or shame of the week, maybe the shame of the year, to the committee that voted out this proposed, uh, voted out the recommendation that Denver adopt so-called safe injection sites. So this would be places where people can do illegal activities in a sanctioned way and, and shoot up. Um, it's, a, it's, you know, ask anybody who has a business or a home in downtown Denver, hey, would you like to have a spot where people can shoot up next door legally? And they're, I'm going to guess they're going to say no. So I, I think uh, it was voted out in a very partisan way. Um, all Democrats, no Republicans. They're going to tee it up to the legislature next year. I'm hoping the legislature knows better. Well, I'll agree with Krista on her point, not the squirrels, but the safe injection site. Uh, mine is, and it's probably a week late, but I haven't been on the show for a couple of weeks, the start of the school year. We're heading into Labor Day weekend. Kids should be starting the school year next Tuesday or next Wednesday after Labor Day, and particularly with the heat that so many communities, Denver being center to it, have experienced. DPS still has, I believe, the numbers 43 schools without air conditioning. The temperature on day one in DPS, the outdoor temperature was 99 degrees. You tell me how much learning is going on in those classrooms under those conditions. Let families and kids have their August start the school year after Labor Day. Okay. 
interestingly, mine dovetails really well with yours. I think today Gallup just came out with an updated poll seeing where Americans stand on public education. And they found that it's the lowest in 23 years. Only 36% of Americans are satisfied with public education. I think that only goes up to 41% for actual parents. Um, these are rock bottom numbers. This is as low as we've been in, in a long time. And um, obviously we've seen this, this huge amount of school choice efforts across the country, I think are kind of part of that. Um, you know, I, I think that something needs to change. Public education is in dire straits, whether it's not having air conditioning, whether it's failing test scores, whether it's the safety of our students in the classroom. There's not much to, to be excited about when it comes to public education in this country, and that's, that's a sad state of affairs. Mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about something good and positive. No taste of Colorado, but there are great events around Denver this week. Krista was talking about the art scene. First Friday is packed with really exciting activities all over town, so get out and enjoy. And former East High School grad Philip Bailey is playing Tuesday night, Earth, Wind, and Fire. I'm going. Exactly. Very and, excited. Well, of course, the CU football game, but I need that, that to someone oh yeah. else. Yeah, that's exciting, too. I'm going to uh, give my hats off to the Douglas County Library Board of Trustees. They, uh, there was a, an effort to ban, uh, I should say ban, it's not really banning, but to remove some books from the library. These were LBGTQ books. Uh, at a group wanted those taken out of the library, and the trustees ultimately overruled that and said, we're not going to do that. And it's the subject of my column this Sunday, is that you know libraries are for a, uh, to offer a diverse amount of materials. Nobody gets to come in and say, no, you can't have this, because you get that happening, and suddenly there are no books, because somebody somewhere is going to be offended. Let's have a lot of books and let the readers decide. Mm -hmm. uh, per my column that we talked about earlier on Polis and rural Colorado, um, I say something nice is going to be for the governors of Idaho and Wyoming, who have refused the gov Governor Polis's request to bring wolves to Colorado or to provide the wolves for the, quote, reintroduction in Colorado. If you are a rural citizen, particularly in western Colorado, uh, the governors of Wyoming and Idaho have been a lot more responsive to your interests than their own governor has been. Well, if they can't get wolves, maybe squirrels. Um, uh, the, uh, the, the be well, the best thing I heard this week actually just happened a few minutes ago when Patty, when talking about Republicans in power, says that they won't be for a while. That's a lot better than the forever I'm used to. Um, no, but uh, I, I actually discovered this really neat Facebook page that I wanted to share. It's called Lost Muscle Cars. And this is like literally a page where people submit photos and VIN numbers of muscle cars that their parents owned or they own from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And basically, you have 75,000 people who've liked this page, and they all start searching. And they start tagging people who are in different car clubs around the country. And they have found, like, you know, Camaros and all these things that were owned by people's parents 20, 30 years ago. And I just think that's a really cool thing. As someone who's a very nostalgic person, uh, I think it's really cool people are connecting with their past. What's the name way. of the site, the page again? Lost Muscle Cars. Lost Muscle Cars on yeah. Facebook. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much. Uh, my Something Positive is just a well wish for a nice long Labor Day weekend, and I hope everyone takes time to take a break from their busy work schedules, from the emails and all the other demands that keeps us all so busy while we're on the job. Enjoy taking a much, as much of a breather as you possibly can this weekend. And that goes for our fabulous panel as well. Have a great break this weekend, and thanks to you all for watching at home or listening to our podcast on Spotify. I'm Kyle Dyer. I will see you next week here on PBS 12.